insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Clubbox. God, I love Clubbox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner, and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Mobile, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, Scott. How are you? Not good. Uh-oh. Five minutes before this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, breaking news. Never had this happen in the history of my career in insurance. I am about 99.9% sure that I am about to have my first E&O claim. Oh, the honesty. Yeah, we're in the trust tree here. We need We need music that plays like, trust tree when you I say, I say it I say it every single time I go out and speak to a group of insurance agents nobody wants to know what Scott does well they want to know all the warts and you know, that's what separates you from every other thought leader is you start with the the bad well I appreciate you saying that but the fact of the matter is I make just as many mistakes as everybody else does and uh yep. this is kind of a big deal it hasn't been fully addressed yet but I think uh from the very limited information I have. I'll tell you exactly what happened. It could happen to anybody. So we have a policy with two fourplexes on it, different addresses. The guy calls our office and wants to, I guess he sold the property, wanted it canceled off of his policy. And it's with a blue blood carrier, by the way. It's not with a Jimbo's ENS, ENS market. Yeah. The account manager sends an email to the carrier. And instead of canceling just that particular property, she cancels both of them. Oh. Well, guess what happened last night? I'm going to guess a water loss. Fourplex burned down. Oh, gosh. We go to file the claim. They're like, policy's canceled. Mm. Wait, so, who canceled it? Your account manager or the carrier? Account manager did. Instead of just taking one property off, she took them both off, which there were only two properties on the policy. That's cut and dry, Scott. Yep. That, ladies and gentlemen, would be an E&O claim. And I know none of y'all have ever haven't had it happen before. I, I get it. <laughs> Nobody's I, had any ENO claims, and never. nobody has ever wrote twenty five fifty twenty five never or monoline GL ever in the history never of them. Never. Mm -mm. No, that's why we all pay. But you know as well as I do when this happens, Bradley. Uh, you're looking at your ENO doubling next year because of it, right? Plus, you got to yeah, pay the, but, the deductible. But, but you know, at the same time. That's what you have it for. A mistake Great. was made. If you're a really successful agent told me a long time ago that if you're in this business long enough and you grow big enough, it's going to happen. And I think, you know, we had one or no, we didn't have any no claim. We almost had one hurricane Sally. We found out that there was a guy whose policy, the mailing address was incorrect. So he didn't get the bill, didn't pay it. And, uh, it was canceled. And I called him up and said, Hey dude, this was our, this was, this was like, hours before hurricane Sally hit mobile, mm -hmm. like, Hey dude, look, we got ENO insurance. It was our mistake. I just went ahead and laid it all out there. Now, a lot of attorneys would probably tell me not to do that, but I uh, ended up the house was fine, but that's what you got it for. And you know, here we are ladies yeah. and gentlemen, I, I have got, you know, our mission on this podcast every week is to help you guys any way we can. We have had our podcast guest on, I believe it was early, early part of last year, maybe it's been longer. Now. And I missed it. So I'm really looking forward to 
Right. But to him not bringing that up every single time we see each other. I'm kidding. Well, here's why I wanted him on the podcast today. He goes out and helps agents every week. In fact, it would not shock me if he's not headed out somewhere this week because he goes out every week and meets with agencies. I want to talk a lot of th- uh, today about what changes he has seen in the last two or three years working with all these agencies on how things are being done better and different today than maybe they were five years ago. And I know he, he would have his thumb on that. So, uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about revenue ops, sales ops. Uh, we just got a lot to talk about today and we've got a lot of notes to take today. At least I do. I don't think Bradley takes notes, but I'm a big note taker and everybody over here makes fun of me because I have mountains and mountains of legal pads where I took notes and sometimes I'll go through my banker boxes full of legal pads to find something I want to, you know, go back and look at from a podcast three years ago. I I mean, I actually do that. Like I will go back and say, okay, I remember we did a podcast on that. I need to go back and look at the notes on that. So I hope some of you guys do that as well, but my notes are that I record everything. Correct. Yeah. So I sat in a meeting yesterday with a lady. I just hit record on my phone and that's, that's my notes. Well guys, here he comes. If he can't help you, there ain't many folks that can. He's originally from Easley, South Carolina, and he currently resides in Raleigh, North Carolina. Prior to forming Premier Strategy Box, he was an independent agency owner from 2008 to 2011, an executive director of a large Florida-based MGA, and an independent consultant. Today, he is now the president and CEO of Premier Strategy, where he assists agents in utilizing data analytics in support of revenue growth. My God, there's probably nothing more important. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you second-time guest on the IGP, Mr. Mick Hunt. How are you, Mick? Let's do it. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm the best. And he's he's a huge Duke basketball fan. We can end the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I bet he is. (laughs) We can end the podcast. That's like oil and water right there. There is nothing finer than the University of North Carolina. Throw that hey, I don't have so, a dog in the fight, so I will agree with you. There you go. So, Mick, my um, my roommate in college, Mr. Chris Shaver, his son Will is now going to be a redshirt sophomore at North, for the North Carolina Tar Heels this year. Little inside baseball for you: the coaching staff loves him. He is six eleven. He is going to see minutes this year for North Carolina. It will be interesting to see. If Will can rise to the occasion, and what I mean by that is you cannot hide at North Carolina. You can't. You're either going right. to show out or you're not. Especially when that's you're 6'11". Right. 6'11", yeah. He looked we've like, got a team that's primed for a run this year, too. So uh, I, we right. didn't close the deal last year. This year we're closing the deal. Yeah. It was so funny during the Final Four, they kept showing him on the bench. or the, the, You know, they showed the bench, and mm-hmm. he looked like such a man-child over there with all the other – red shirt kids and walk-ons it was like they they would pan the bench and it was like this nba player sitting over there with all the other yeah. other kids because he's so big and so tall but he'll, he'll do he'll do well his daddy was his daddy was tough smart yeah hell of a basketball player. dad was 6'10 6 11 so there we go and now a neurosurgeon not insurance yeah not insurance okay <laughs> hey hey been a while since you and i talked so Mick, bring us up to today, what you've been doing since the last time you were on this podcast. And I guess talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the industry as you go out every week, crisscrossing the nation, 
visiting yeah. with different agencies trying to help them like what are some of the things that you're like man this this seems a little different than the way it was five or ten years ago yeah yeah so i appreciate having me on bradley i'm glad that you're actually joining us this time you know, like, <laughs> i don't have to remind you you know at our monthly meetings that we have that you know you missed the, the last one I don't nice remember bread. what happened last time, Scott. Something came up and I had to bounce. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember either. I want to say when we had him on, I was podcasting live from Deep Pride Studios and you had to leave and go do something. Maybe Clayton was sick. I don't know. Maybe. I think Maybe. that's what it Who was. Knows? I think sick kid or something yeah. like that. So We're all together now. Though. We're there all you together. go. Now, but so for the past year, man, just really been doing the same thing. Going out, talking about RevOps, talking about sales ops, looking at automation. So when we say what's changed in the last five years, and I'm going to give both of you guys a big shout out to this because I think your podcast is leading to a lot of this. We're seeing insure tech companies that actually care about agents where before, and you guys know me, I'm going to be honest, before everything was direct to consumer and it failed. And then it was like, oh, let's go get the agents involved, right? Mm -hmm. What I think now is you're seeing utilization of some of these really good insure tech companies that actually do put the agents first and that's helping. So, so what you're seeing is more integrations that are happening with, with management systems and CRMs and phone systems. And, and you're looking at agents and staff members having the ability, I'm, I'm using the word shortcut, but to shortcut a lot of things where they can become more efficient. Now, I'm not saying every agency is out there trying to to do it, but the opportunity is actually there now greater than it's ever been. Well, I think what's happening too, Mick, is, and Hanley and I talked about this about a year ago on his show uh, in reference to Ken Insurance. And we were and Ken, Ken is, is probably the only, in my opinion, widely known insured tech carrier right now that's still pretty staunchly anti-agent. Is that the one Gary V is an investor in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's what I thought. And hmm. a lot of times, and Hanley brought this point up, and I agree, a lot of times we're going to go direct to consumer, cut the agent out, save the 15%, and we're going to strategically leave out the high customer acquisition costs and, and low retention. But it sounds good to the VCs. Mm-hmm. The VCs like that. Well, I think what's happening I'm seeing more and more of these insure techs because a lot of them reach out to us and want our advice or whatever. I mean, Scott and I have our ear to the ground to a lot of agents, not just through the podcast, but in everything we do in the industry. I think that narrative is changing a little bit on the VC side where they're seeing, oh, wait, you know, Lemonade calls themselves successful, but really it's a crap show and they've got a 4,300% loss ratio and all that kind of stuff. So do you think that that's what's changing a little bit why they're going back they're, they're almost starting with the agents now to a degree? No, I, I, you, you hit it on the head. That's definitely what's happening. And I also don't want to be remiss with what I said earlier. Bradley and Scott Howell really are doing a lot for this. It takes podcasts like this. It takes content coming out, not only to the insurance industry and the agents, but to also the tech companies that are there. And you guys yourselves are unabashed about what you say. You bring guests on that are the same way. And that's what we need. And so kudos to both of you for helping start this, because I can promise you, if it wasn't for you guys talking about it, not just on the podcast, but, you know, I see when you guys are out in the industry and other events, if you're not talking about these things, guess what? People don't change. Companies don't change. So 
kudos to both of you. I'm giving you guys a big Thank golf clap right now. Well, well, and I think what happens too, to take a little bit of those kudos away from us, I think what happens too is so it's like a buddy of mine, you know, people who aren't a part of communities tend to have a little bit of an idea of what that community is about. And they're a lot of times wrong. And I'll give you an example. A buddy of mine all through high school, I was a big golfer. A buddy of mine always used to make fun of me. Like, and he had this image in his head of golfers of like, man, you guys go out there in your plaid shorts and act all gentlemanly and uptight and, and oh, good shot, Ralph. Thanks, Rick. And, you know, had this image. Well, then like a lot of athletes do that he graduates, not good enough to play college. And they immediately go to golf because it's one of the only sports, if not the only sport you can play forever. And he's like, man, you guys are a bunch of drinking, cussing, gambling partiers out here. This is fun. Like I mm -hmm. had no idea golfers were like this. And I think what happens to, to parlay that into a lot of these insurtechs and VCs, they're picturing the pale male and stale main street insurance agent who still has pleats in his pants does everything by paper and is not going to be receptive to change at all. Correct. And then they hear podcasts like this one in Hanley and some of our friends and see some of the stuff going on at some of these conferences and insure tech connect and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, wait a minute, there is actually a community here in the insurance agency in the insurance world that is thriving for that is wanting this change. It is this wanting it really bad. I saw a, a tweet the other day, of course, the guy was the guy was in Europe, so it's a completely different mindset as it relates to insurance. But he said he tried to get a commercial insurance quote and it was just a pain in the butt, right? Online. And somebody commented and said, The problem are agents. They're the ones holding the industry back. And I'm sitting here thinking, and I replied to it and I said, No. And again, this guy's in Europe. They have a completely different viewpoint of insurance. But I said, no, is the problem's not the agents. The agents want the same thing that you want to happen to happen is the carriers and the, the old school tech. And that's what's really holding it back. So I think I know that was a long point, but I think that's what's happening with this is, is people, they, they come in with a certain viewpoint and then they realize, wait a minute, these agents actually want this too. The one to five percenters, they're the ones that want this. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you what I want. I want somebody from progressive to come on this podcast shout out to progressive and here's why so progressive has really two silos they've got progressive direct right okay and by the way that is where all of the money flows out of to run the flow progressive commercials all that money comes from right. the budget from direct right right so when you're watching tv and flow they've got that. a They've got a new commercial that just came out like uh, two days ago with her and some uh, movie star person uh, doing mm -hmm. a commercial together. But then they've got this other silo of where independent agents sell insurance. And the interesting thing about that is the last time I heard it was split about 50-50. So 50% of their business, somewhere in that range, 48 to 50% was progressive direct. Person gets online, they go get their insurance directly. Then about 50% of their business is sold by independent agencies. So what I want to know is they have the numbers somewhere where mm -hmm. you can see, okay, what is our loss ratio with Progressive Direct mm -hmm. overall total loss ratio? And you could even throw in ASI because there's your homeowner's carrier yep. over here on Direct. And then, okay, what's our loss ratio 
for independent agents that sell our product? And then what is our overall profitability on both sides of that coin? Because that's going to tell you like Mm -hmm. which one of these are more profitable, you know, there for a while, for about three or four years, progressive. And this was before I became an independent agent, but do you remember they ran those commercials with the two dumbass insurance agents that had the yellow jackets on running around acting stupid and bumping into each other. Well, they quit doing that. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. figure they quit doing that because somebody like me was like, Hey, if we're going to sell this product, I don't want to be made fun of online. That's I mean, yeah. on t- TV or whatever. I would love for somebody that's a numbers best practices person with progressive to come on and be able to shut I'll, down those numbers for me. I'll tell you something funny, Scott, you're going to, you're going to be mad at me. So about three weeks ago, I get a text from my progressive rep on a Friday and he's like, Hey, you're invited to come to the home office and spend a day with all the top executives, probably including Trisha, the CEO and learn about the direction of the company as it relates to independent agents. Okay. When do I need, when, when is it Sunday? <laughs> this was Friday. And I was in Europe when he sent me the email and I was yeah, like, yeah, but that sounds to me no, like he didn't really, happen. that's one of those, I don't really want you to come, but I'm going to invite you anyway, because you would No, I think he tell forgot somebody. to tell me. Um, yeah. I mean, now I've heard to fly to Ohio and all yeah, that. Yeah. 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 That was, that was improbable. I've heard that their focus, they may be 50, 50, but their focus is like 80, 20 on the independent agent. That's, that's what I've heard through the grapevine. Well, well, so I think that, that kind of answers your question. That, that, right, exactly. That tells you. Now that could also just be lip service from. because they know I'm going to yell at them if they tell me it's the other way, but still. Yeah, I agree. So Mick, and I completely agree with some of the things you said relative to technology, efi- helping the actual agency force with efficiency and mm-hmm. those types of things. And then on the flip side, we've also got technology now that is helping more of the consumer that has policies with an independent agent like Glovebox, you know, where you can just go jump on a mobile phone, grab your ID cards. You don't have to call the office anymore, you know, mm-hmm. uh, billing accounts, stuff like that. So what are some other things though, that you're seeing in the industry? Bradley wanted to talk a little bit today about, so we've got inflation going on. The housing market is, and this is what they wanted. They wanted to kind of, you know, slow down this housing market a little bit as part of inflation. And so how does that affect insurance agents? Because you don't have as much speed of houses, you know, changing hands and people needing insurance over and over and over again. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, when I started my agency, it was 2008, right? So right when all of that was going on and what you saw and what we're going to see in property and Bradley, I know you know this being coastal, is you're going to see over the next 18 months a big rate shift in property, right? Because now the volume to write that business isn't there. Well, guess how we go get that volume if we own a carrier, right? Premium increase. So premium increase is going to go. And you're also going to see now, again, with the coastal carriers, who actually did right with their actuary stuff, right? So, you know, what were we doing with our money? What were we doing with our investments? Because some carriers are going to go out of business. In 2008, 2009, I think in the state of Florida, we saw 14 companies go out of business when I was in Florida. Yeah. Right. And some of those were coastal as well. So, I mean, it's running all up and down the Atlantic coast, the Gulf coast, the Pacific coast. So as you start to see that activity and a lot of people thought, oh, well, it has to do with hurricanes, 
Nope. Has nothing to do with hurricanes, right? It's what are you doing with that capital that you're raising and how do you get it there? So I think we're going to see that start to come to it. I know, Scott, you've been in the industry for a while. What did you see as that was going on? Well, as far as 2008, first and foremost, if you didn't have cash, you weren't buying a damn house because a bank was not lending you money to buy a house. I don't care if you had 800 credit score. Now, you had four or five hundred thousand dollars. You could go down to Orange Beach and buy a condo for $350,000, cash that a month before that would have sold for $750,000. Mm-hmm. But a month before that, you'd get a loan on it. So cash was king. And there was that certain period of time, I guess it was 08, 09, where banks just said, you know what? We don't care. We ain't lending money to buy a house. Right. You just you're just not gonna buy one mm-hmm. unless you got cash sitting on the sidelines, and then you could get one for mm-hmm. a freaking sweetheart deal. Because some people were just looking to get out from under what they had and trying not to mm-hmm. file for bankruptcy. Right. Right. And, I, and um, I think that happens in other industries too. I think that can can relate. I had a, we had a meeting with our team yesterday about how it seems like when we are quoting now in competitive situations, there's less hands in the pot mm-hmm. than there was six, 12, 18 months ago. I mean, 18 mm-hmm. months ago, man, we, it was, you had 15 people in the game when you're, when you're in a competitive situation. Right. I think what happens, I mean, nobody does this because it's easy. And I think what mm-hmm. happens in, in economies like this, it eliminates the C and D players. And so if we yeah. can just, be the best that we can be and do what we do and follow our process, we'll be just fine. Yeah. And to be well, honest, I, I would rather sell in a hard market than I would in a soft market where everybody has access to everybody and you have no idea what carrier is going to come out of left field and be competitive on it. No, I agree. I, I also will counter that and say in market in times like this, those C players start to elevate because the A players get very conservative, yeah. right? And Scott, I know you know this knowing your exclusive background, right? Those A carriers will crawl, yeah. right? It doesn't mean that they're not trying to be competitive. They're just like, hey, we're, we're going to take a pause right here and we're going to make it extremely hard, right, to get new business coming in the door. It's got to be almost perfect to come into the I door. can tell you one right now that seems to be you know, every carrier in the United States of America, Mick, you know this as well as anybody, every carrier is in the cycle of insurance, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. I can tell you one carrier that seems to me like they are going through what I call an underwriting cycle, which is to slow down and put the brakes on growth, Safeco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've heard from no less than five agents lately. Now we're still riding a pretty good bit of it over here in our market, but Boy, nation, your nation, town is chock full of their target client. Correct. <laughs> correct. Rocket rocket scientists with 850 credit scores yep. that own everything out. Yeah, exactly. But other markets for Safeco, uh, I've heard multiple agents call and text and I saw something on insurance soup. They seem to be taking the throttle on the boat and they're pulling it back to slow down growth from simply an underwriting standpoint. Yeah. But you know what kills me, Scott? And I, you, you and Bradley both own agencies. 
Yep. Why don't they have conversations with their territory reps? <laughs> because they're calling Bradley saying, hey, we need Dude, I, we need more business. Hey, Scott, we need more business. <laughs> Bro, I have been asking me. this question for years. Like, it doesn't seem like you can get the inside scoop until after it happens and you call the person right. and they're like, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing. Safeco is not super competitive where we are, so we don't write a ton with them. They're a tool. They're not something we use every time. And they called me in July and said, hey, we need six policies by September. Yep. And I'm like, we'll do it this month. We've right. done like three and we quote them like 20 times a day. Like we have a running list of safe code declines. That way I can show them like, Hey, and here's the thing we write high end personal lines. These are all people that we've placed with another carrier. Mm -hmm. I don't understand Mick. And I'm sure some actuary somewhere in a hole in London can explain this to me. I don't understand why carriers decline good customers. Why don't you just throw a high rate out there and see if they buy it? Yeah. I mean, I understand declining the person with three tickets and a DUI and junior has a reckless driving accident, but, mm -hmm. but why decline? Why not just throw a, but that, but that's one way they can slow down growth. Bro. It is. That's exactly it is. right there. Like I tell, I tell insurance agents all the time. A carrier does not have to necessarily decline a risk, but just as Bradley said, they can say, if these some bitches want it that bad, we'll sell it yeah. to them, but we're, it's going to be triple what they probably paying right now for it. Well, London has a saying that there's no such thing as bad risk, only bad price. Well, there you go. There you but, go. but anyway, Mick, what, if I'm an agent, okay. I'm the, I'm the average agent, right? I'm in the middle of the bell curve. Mm-hmm. Do pretty good, right? Five hundred to a million dollars a year, but I but I rely heavily on the market, right? I don't have a big legion strategy that works. Uh, I don't have a, a bunch of referral partners. I rely heavily on call-ins, walk-ins, networking, old-school, average Main Street insurance, and I know that. There's a lot of you that probably fit in that category. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Correct. What steps can I take to prevent from being hurt in this economy? What steps can I take right now to kind of get me out of relying on the current conditions of the market and carriers and that sort of thing and actually being proactive and controlling my own destiny? If you are an existing agent, you've been in the game for three plus years, attack your existing book of business, mm. right? So I just did a webinar where we talked about, there are on the personal line side, five to eight different policies that you can write every single person that's in your clientele right now, right? We went through this exercise. We had people name all the products. Somebody got to 13. The average agency has 1.3 policies per client. If there are seven or eight policies that you can write per client, go get it because that's organic growth. It is much easier to do business with people that do business with you. You're not selling your story to somebody that already knows you. On the commercial side, there's 13 to 20 policies that you can write for your commercial clients. Go get them. Because guess what? If, if Bradley's not doing it, Scott's calling Bradley's customers. Uh -huh. Somebody's calling your customers right now. Uh -huh. So don't be afraid to talk to your customers. And I don't want to hear we cross sell and upsell every time because I talk to three, 400 agencies a year. I sit in their offices, talk to their staff. 
listen to all these phone calls and I might, I might hear a cross sell ask 10% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, Bradley might think that everybody's doing it. Bradley might've told everybody to do it. Oh, I'm going to tell you. They ain't doing They're it. Not. <laughs> <laughs> they are not doing it. So attack your existing book of business. I'm going to say invest in all the, not all, but some of the resources that are the, that are there to help you. So look at your automation, look at your renewal processes, right? Look at your engagement processes and maximize that. Because again, if you're not, somebody's talking to them. So I see a ditch on both sides of this road. Justin Miller says that all the time. I picked it up from him. On one side, you have referral partners that a lot of these agencies have that maybe in the past year or two or three or four, they've been getting anywhere from two to three leads a week, uh, could be up to 10 or 15 leads a week from, say, a mortgage broker. Well, as interest rates rise and the housing market continues to cool down, those leads are going to start slowly dripping in fewer and fewer. So there's that Mm -hmm. side of it. Okay. That's one ditch, right? Mm -hmm. But on the other side, if people are losing their jobs, gas is double what it used to be. They can't afford to buy bread, eggs, milk, pay their cell phone bill. There could be a tremendous opportunity to simply pick the phone up and call people and say, Hey, look, you know, we're in a recession right now. People are looking at ways to cut costs. You, like everybody else, Mr. Johnson, spend three or $4,000 a year on insurance. Can I get you a quote and just see if we can save you money? And I think if you position what I just said the correct way, 75% of people are probably going to be like, yeah, you sure can, because I do need right. to save some money. Right. So there's kind of a ditch on both sides of this road. There's the, you know, the, the side where maybe your referral partner that you hadn't really had to do much work because they're just sending you stuff in. It and sending as much, but on the flip side of that, there's a tremendous opportunity here as people are struggling to pay their bills during a recession, they may be real open to getting an insurance quote that maybe they weren't two years ago. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're right. Like I take it a step further, right? Have the conversation and we teach people tell a claim story, claim story, sell, right? Yeah, tell a claim story. You know, we started this call with E&O. I guarantee you Scott Howell is not the only person that's had an E&O claim, but I can use that story and tell you why E&O is important because that is so common that it's going to happen, right? I mean, right. that's just everyday insurance, right? It's nothing someone did wrong. Hey, I, I thought he said cancel everything, not just one thing, right? right. Have those claim stories because they sell. Yeah, I agree. I'll so tell look, you, I'll tell you ahead, something Brad. else, only because this dovetails really good into a sponsor, but it's true, is offering your commercial customers who are with carriers that don't have payment plans, premium financing. A lot of times if they're already paying in full, they don't know it exists. Yeah. And me, my business, I like paying stuff in full because I like my cash flow. I don't like getting hundred dollars to death. I'd rather pay the 1200. Right? right. But if me as a business owner hit hard times and I don't know that premium financing is there and using a tool like Ascend that makes it super easy, super slick, and it's not right. cumbersome for that client to sign up. That's the thing. Premium financing is cumbersome. Yeah. Using a carrier that's slick, quick, and easy, like an Ascend can benefit you as well. It can help with retention. I promise you. Totally agree. I couldn't totally agree with agree. you more. And there are a lot of business owners out there that want to keep that money in their operating account or, or wherever they have it. And they, they, you know, you said getting hundred dollars to death. Well, if it's an 80 or a hundred, $200,000 policy, mm-hmm. 
you know, and you can keep that money there and, and, and have a, you know, a monthly payment of maybe a couple thousand, three or $4,000 a month. A lot of people are going to do that. I'll tell you something too. I told my team this the other day, you know, we're kind of right now, the lender stuff has slowed down tremendously because interest rates went up. They're going back down a little bit, but it's still not where it was three months ago. And we do a lot of lender referrals on the personal line side. I know a lot of you guys listen to this do. I told my team the other day, I said, don't use this as an opportunity to ignore your lender partners. Everybody yeah. else is ignoring them. Right. Right. They're still doing deals. They're just not doing as many deals as you were as, as they were. Right. This is a good time to not only reach out to the ones we have great relationships with, but it's a perfect time to reach out to some of those that are kind of on the fringe that refer to us sometimes when their favorite insurance agent is not available and that sort of thing, because I guarantee you, they're not hearing from anybody else. Everybody else is panicking, looking for other ways to sell insurance. Right. Oh, for sure. And don't forget this in the lender market now too, in the, probably in the next six months or so refinancing is going to be very huge, mm -hmm. right? Cause that's, what's going to happen. So definitely keep those relationships, but I always challenge people don't make it about you. Right. Yeah. What can you do for that lender? How can you make their process easier? So think of creative ways because everybody stops and brings in donuts. Right. Everybody stops in and drops off a business card. What are you doing to make it easier for that lender to do business with you? And then what are you giving back to that lender? Always think through that. I'll tell you a funny story one time. So we had a, a mortgage lender we were doing some marketing for. This was back in my captive days. I was doing a little bit of marketing work for her and doing some SEO stuff in exchange. And it, and it was just like, they were just overjoyed with some of the leads they were getting. And I went by her office one day and uh, there was a, a tin of pretzels and it said from such and such insurance agency, like they had dropped it off there. And I said, Hey, I can start just bringing pretzels if you want to. No, 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 no. We, we like what you're doing. <laughs> I'll tell you this, guys, one of the things we as independent agents don't do a good job of, and I, I'm raising my hand first here to say I don't do a good job of this either, is getting with our existing customer base clients that we have on the books and having adult conversations with them about what could we do better? You what, what, you know, you've been a client of ours for four years. We appreciate you. And, and maybe this takes you, Mr. Client, a few days to think about. Maybe it's not something we can just you can answer off of a one phone call, but I would appreciate you to call me back if you do need some time to think about it. But how can, how can we serve you better? What could we do going directly to the customer mm -hmm. to find kind of re-engineer what we as an agency could do better? And it's so easy to do now with all so the automation easy. tools out there, agency so Zoom or better agents or whatever you're using. And, and the, the key is, is you structure these, these automated communications in a way that it's hard to tell it's automated and you win. Right. Yeah, no doubt. So Mick, I want to help these agents for a minute. Revenue ops. Yes. Revenue operations versus sales operations. First and foremost, you've got five core processes in your revenue operations bag of tricks. Yep. Talk a little bit about them, maybe even the difference between revenue operations and sales operations. What, what are the big differences between those two? Because they are mutually exclusive to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I get asked all the time, you know, with my agency, how did I grow it as big as I did as fast as I did? And I say, I didn't care about dotting my I's and crossing my T's in my management system. I didn't care about labeling documents in my management system so that Sally, 20 years from now, could go find that one document that she labeled 20 years ago. 
right? I focused on processes that matter, which is RevOps, right? So it's your new business process, everything from identifying your ideal client to how you close the sale, right? It's your new customer onboarding process. So what are we doing to welcome that new customer that we just got so that Bradley can't steal them from me? Because he's going to try, right? My renewal process, what are we doing 120 days, 90 days, 45 days ahead, five days ahead of renewal to make that impactful? Client interactions, you know, Scott just hit it. What, how Are we having those reviews, right? Are we looking at cross-sell opportunities? Are we asking for referrals at every client interaction, building processes around that? And then a win-back process, that's the fifth process. So what are we doing with quotes that we didn't win because none of us close 100%? Or what are we doing with customers that we lost because none of us have 100% retention, right? right? So focusing on those five core processes really accelerated what I did with my agency. And like, it was as simple as simple can be. I'm a process person, not a procedure person, right? Mm -hmm. Like processes to me are four or five steps. I'm going to do these four or five things every single time. I can do four or five. I can't do 100, right? Keep it simple. Keep it structured. That's what we did. So take us through the quotes you didn't sell, your X date process. Mm -hmm. Take us through kind of what you guys did when you were in your agency. And the reason I picked that one is because we all have 98% retention. What are you talking about, man? Of course. Yeah. Of course. It's, it's, it's quoted, quoted, not sold. Quoted, not sold. Quoted, not sold. Yeah. 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 That's, a, so, that's a huge opportunity in my agency. I'm asking that selfishly. No, no, wholeheartedly. So we use quoted, not sold as a way to educate people we didn't win. Because a lot of us get ghosted, right? Especially on the personal line side, you send out a quote. They don't call you back and say, hey, Scott, thanks, but no thanks, right? They just ghost you. And, and if you're not getting ghosted, you're not quoting enough business, I can promise yep. you. <laughs> but so what we do is we trigger a breakup email. So we are proactive. We're not waiting for Bradley to tell me no. We're not waiting for Scott to tell me no. We're just going to go ahead and assume that we broke up, that we didn't get it. So we're going to trigger a breakup email that says, hey, you know, thanks for the opportunity. No, we didn't get you this year. It's part of our process. We're going to re-engage with you throughout the year unless you tell us no right now. Right. Right. We're going to re-engage with you. No hard feelings. Just want you to know that we care. And then you start sending out educational communication. So on the personal side, send out info of things that they don't know about homeowners insurance or auto insurance or umbrella insurance. Don't don't do the whole, hey, just wanted to touch base with you, let you know we're thinking like people don't care about that crap. But you send out information that people can do and just schedule it, right? On the commercial side, there's tons of things that you can send out. Talk about things that you do in the community or in your space. Those are things that people can communicate with and remember because I promise you, you're not going to send out something and then your phone's going to ring and they're like, oh yeah, we do want that quote. You've got to be proactive. But right. send out pieces of content throughout the six months, 12 months, whatever it is. And then two months before renewal on personal lines and 90 days before renewal on commercial, you're putting them almost back in your prospecting process. Right. But it's the content that's not salesy that matters. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's adding value. Exactly. Well, what you're it's, doing is you're reaching out to them eight to 12 times when their other agent wrote it and they're not hearing from them at all. Right. We had a lady yesterday that was a contact that we had we had talked about insurance several months ago, hundred thousand dollar premium accounts, fifteen fifteen k revenue, and I sent her a text and I was like, "Hey, how are things going? Uh, you should have received your renewal by now." 
no, actually, I haven't received it. I mean, that's like exactly that's like walking into a casino saying I'm ready to spend money to me. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we have a meeting today as soon as we're off this podcast, actually. So what happens is when you're constantly communicating with people, you you uncover little opportunities like that where you can drive just a little bit of a wedge. And all right. of a sudden you're you look amazing in the current agent looks like they're not doing their job. We all this is within 30 days of renewal, by the way. So we all know that agents holding on to that renewal. Yep. And and what you're doing is, you know, Scott said it, you're adding value. You're not making it about you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're putting yourself in that position. And oh, by the way, you're not spending money, right? Because you're not having to go buy leads. You're not having to go you know, do these different ads. You're simply targeting people that know your brand, that know your name, that have engaged with you and allowed you to quote them, right? Again, should be an easy sell, should be an easy re-engagement. We just did the best thing that we have ever done in terms of adding value to both our habitational investor clients uh, and prospects. We created a landing page that has a heat map on it It will go out each month on the 10th of the month, I believe, and investors can click on any part of the United States. And when they click on that territory, it pops up and gives them a rate per door for their investment property. And it's a general dollar per door rate. But here's some of the things we did. Okay. We knew investors. So so insurance carriers talk about net rate. Mm-hmm. Well, investors don't talk in those terms. They don't right. talk about net rate. Right. But if I call an underwriter that specializes in HAB, they want to talk about net rate this, net rate that. Talk to an investor like that. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? We talk dollar per door. Like we want to know what's it going to cost us dollar per door. Mm-hmm. So every, every month on the 10th, all of our clients, all of our prospects get an updated dollar per door indication in every sector of the United States. We broke it down into 13 territories. territories. Now that is creating value. Right. Yeah. Instead of sending out some bullshit, uh, MailChimp freaking net newsletter with like what Scott been, you know, nobody wants to see that yeah. shit. They want to see that guy. That had that, see. You think that guy that had that fire is looking at his rate per door right now? I don't think he's probably waiting <laughs> on a phone call from me right I'm now. Kidding. Probably what he's doing. <laughs> I'm kidding. No. And, and so then, Scott, you know, so that's our RevOps. It's those five processes. It's it's building those processes out, building automation in those processes where automation can occur because a computer is going to do it right 100 percent of the time, the way you 100. set it up. Right. It's not going to take a day off. It's not going to call out sick. Right. It's going to do it right every single time. And that's RevOps. It's focusing on those processes that are around revenue generation. Right. Again, I don't care about labeling documents in your management system. I don't care about, you know, what file goes where, yeah. who gets what. Focus on revenue because all that other BS is just BS. I mm. promise you. There's not saying two, it's not important, but it doesn't make you money. There's right. two things that I love about the dollar per door thing. One is you're being transparent. Yep. Business owners and especially real estate investors love transparency. They all think they know how insurance works. Yep. but they all think their agents keeping stuff from them. Yep. I like that. And two, I like that you're talking in their language. Yep. So a lot of really good insurance agents are guilty of using industry jargon, 
when they're talking to customers and the customer has no idea what the, I was guilty of it yesterday. Yeah. I texted a client said, Hey, I need the loss runs. And they're like, I have no idea what the heck that is. I'm like, sorry, I, there's a piece of paper you get from the insurance company that has all right. your losses on it. That's what I right. need. Right. Sure. So I like the fact that you guys are speaking in their terminology and right. what's going to happen is that is going to make them feel like you are one of them. Correct. And then the second part of that is below that in every market in the United States, each month, we're going to do, we're going to pick one, one broker, commercial broker, and they will have a featured property on there. Mm-hmm. So they can click on the link mm-hmm. and it takes them to that broker. Bradley's mind's going a million miles because he knows, where he knows what this, I did. Sir. He knows I what I did. Going with this. Yeah. Yep. So what does that do, guys? It allows us to build relationships with brokers all over the country. And by the way, free of charge to about three or 4,000 investors, we are sending them out your hottest featured property. Guess what they're going to do? Click on it. Go to wherever your website is for your brokerage. Your, you know, your picture's on, the, on there, and it's got all your information. Doesn't cost you a dime, but it allows us to build relationships with brokers all over the country, and they get a featured property that, Hey, somebody may call on and be like, Hey, I want that son of a bitch. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So, and- so Scott, I love this on so many levels because you're going where we talk about the next wave of, of agency and agency life. It's right. gotta be about that. It's gotta be getting outside of your comfort zone, thinking outside of the box to forge new relationships, but to be able to do it at scale. And right. I think that's where you know, earlier we talked about what's different. We talked about things that are going well, but where I see agency owners still struggling is no one thinks scale. Everyone okay. thinks one phone call, one walk in, and, and you're not going to survive that way. I, I promise no. you, you can make a good living, no. but you're not going to survive. So my best friend from high school, his son's about to go to Auburn, scary, smart, electrical engineer. He was telling telling me down at the lake this last weekend, he said, Scott, one thing I learned from you and something I've tried to impart on my son is, yeah, go out and get your electrical engineering degree, but you need to have a minor in business and have a side hustle. And he said, I learned that from you with this podcast thing. Like, you need to have a side hustle besides the main job. And, you know, in case something were to ever happen, you know, get a degree in business, understand some business stuff and be able to figure out like what, what, what could I do even with a great job in electrical engineering, that's probably paying you over a hundred thousand dollars a year, have a side hustle, do something that you enjoy on the side that can make you some additional money. That is just uh more that you can invest in for retirement or whatever. And I was, uh, I was honored that he said that about me. I was like, wow, I, I, I truth tree here. When it all happened, when it all went down with Bradley and Mobile in his office, I wasn't really thinking that way. I just kind of fell into it. You we know were just I mean? checking a box. It was something yeah. we had never done that we wanted to try. Correct. It wasn't both Scott and I would love to sit here and tell you we had this huge premonition of like, yeah. you know, now there's been things that, hap- that have happened since then. Things we're doing now that like, hey, eight years from now, right? Bradley and Scott are going to pat Bradley and Scott on the back for doing this. But as far mm-hmm. as like starting it. But it goes back to Scott, you know, something I talk about a lot when I speak and I, and I speak a lot on culture and, and, and stuff like that, it, especially geared towards agencies that are like less than 10 employees, which is what we are, is employees 
need to provide value to the employers above and beyond the hourly wage that they're being paid. Employers need to provide value to the employees above and beyond the hourly wage that they're paying them. Right. Yeah. Two examples of that. If I'm an employee, let's just, for example, I may listen to podcasts and learn about things that are coming up in the industry and do a segment on that in our team meeting. And, and I'm the guy who's, who's, or the girl who's the conduit to the industry, right? That's my value I provide. Okay. Or it may be relationships or it may be whatever, right? Employers, it may be an example of portal is you come here and you want to build your personal brand. We will let you do that unashamedly. Most corporations keep people from doing that. We will help you do that because we know that's going to build you up in the marketplace and you may can go down the road and get that big $400,000 a year job, right? That's one of the ways we provide value to our people. And I think what you're speaking about too is the third leg of the three-legged stool, as you like to say, of insurance agents and companies providing value above and beyond to their customers other than the shuffling of paperwork that is a current insurance policy, as my friend David Carruthers would say. Right. You're providing that value above and beyond that they're not going to get anywhere else. Right. Yeah, that's what you hope for. Yeah. So hats off to you for creating that. That's awesome. Well, and furthermore, Bradley, to your point, and I tell my people this all the time, and this speaks to employees, you know, the more you can do in an agency and do quickly, speed, hear me talk about speed all the time, accurately, my God, we just talked about that at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. We weren't accurate. We screwed up. Now we're going to have an E&O claim. And then efficiently, but the more stuff you can do, the more money you're going to make. I mean, that's just, if if not, you need to go somewhere else as an employee. If you, Absolutely. I, I'll give you a perfect example. Two months ago, one of my account managers raised her hand on a staff meeting and she said, and I don't know why, but she was almost like embarrassed to talk to me about it. She was like, um, Hey, Scott, could you stay on the staff meeting call? I'd like to talk to you after it's over. I said, no problem. Be glad to. We end the staff meeting. Everybody can hear we go. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Yeah, you're right. I had no idea what it was. And there probably was a part of me that's like, oh, God, what is this about? She wanted to take over our social media and wanted to go through classes to learn how to do social media and start like, um, you know, posting online social media posts and things. Well. To me, that's a checkbox. And hey, this is somebody that's taking ownership. Mm-hmm. Conversely yeah. to that, I've got an account manager that right after the money got stole, comes in my office and she says, I hate commercial insurance and I do not want to help with this and I do not want to be a part of it and I do not want to have anything ever again to do with commercial insurance. Well, now we're going the other direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause at the time I really needed her right? and she, and she just, she just walked away. So which one of the, which one of those PTSD? Yeah. Which one of those two do you think when it comes time for pay raise or, or mm-hmm. ask for a pay rate, you know, the more shit you can do, the more money you're going to make. And, and not only that, you get a rock star, you get like a Lisa Carlton that works for Randy Jones, hundred million dollar agency in Albertville, Alabama, buddy, she gets whatever she wants. You know why? Mm-hmm. Cause she can do it all. There you go. Not, not only can she do it all, he will literally send her to an agency that he buys 
for a couple of weeks just to implement processes and monitor staff and report back to him. You think mm-hmm. she's, you think she's making some money? Here's the problem, Scott. The, this current job market we're in, okay, some corporations have taken advantage of people so much that everybody's gun shy and assumes that every corporation wants to treat you horribly, underpay right. you, and right. overwork you. So a friend of mine, and, I, and I've actually wanted to talk about this on the show. I, I didn't plan to talk about it today, but a friend of mine shared a post. on, And this, this is a, a friend slash client who runs a restaurant and is having staffing issues, as you can imagine. I couldn't imagine a worse industry to be in right now as far as staffing goes than the mm-hmm. restaurant industry. He shares this post where this guy says, my 14-year-old son is working his first job. I felt like I needed to impart some fatherly advice. In the past, I'd be all show up early, stay late, but not anymore. That's terrible advice, and it sets expectations for a lifetime of give with little take. I tell him, don't work if they're not paying you for it, and be viciously protective of your time, which I agree with a little bit. I tell him to get there on time, work hard, be respectful, then leave as soon as the shift's over. I grew up thinking good employees kill themselves for the employer, but then I realized there's not enough recognition in the world that can make up for what you give. It'll never be balanced, not close. And the problem is, in some respects, what he's saying is okay. But I responded and I said, that's a good way to get fired, hop from job to job, and always stay at the pay rate that you're making. I don't think it's a binary situation. I don't think it's a either employees treat you good or employees treat you bad. Employees treat you bad. There's a whole lot of middle right there. And I think you can work really hard, show your value. Don't let people take it. Don't let corporations take advantage of you. Don't let them work you 80 hours and only pay you. Don't don't do that. That's what he's saying. But he's throwing this blanket statement across all companies because I tell you, somebody comes in here and wants to do the bare minimum and and responds with that attitude, they're either not going to be here long or they're always going to stay where they are. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a recipe for not growing. And I think we're dealing with that now in this current marketplace where people are like all companies are bad. I'm working my eight to five. I'm not giving a crap about it. I'm, I'm not doing anything but the bare minimum because that's all they're going to pay me. Da, 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 da. And then the people who don't do that are the ones that are getting promoted, the ones that are getting rewarded and things like that. So I just had to kind of get that off my chest, but I'd love to get your <laughs> thoughts on that. I know it's a, it's a complex subject. And like I said, there's a lot of corporations who've taken advantage of employees forever, right? Golden handcuff strategies, things like that. Totally get it. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean you don't need to work hard and don't need to put the time in and don't need to develop yourself. Yeah, I think a lot of that goes, especially in our industry, because I see it all the time. And, and I would say it's been happening for years and years and years. We don't set and give expectations either yeah. as business owners, Right. We also don't set career pathing. Like I would say our industry sucks at career pathing, right? Mm -hmm. So if Sally comes in 20 years ago as a CSR, 20 years later, Sally's a senior CSR. Yeah. Are they they make her a VP and there's eight VPs in the company and they really don't do anything. Exactly. So so that's something I'm struggling with. That's something I'm struggling with. Yeah. Especially with account managers to find a path for them and then to get them to give me enough feedback because a lot of times as an agency owner and there's a hundred there's thousands of people listening to this right now that know exactly what i'm saying i will sit down with them one-on-one mick and i'll say tell me your goals your dreams your aspirations i don't care what they are i just want Mm -hmm. to hear them so i can try to 
write those down and help you attain your dreams, your goals, your aspirations. Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they are. Well, or, it's like, or, or, or like what, what, where do you want to be in this organization in 10 years? Well, it's just, well, I don't know. But do they know where they can be in 10 years? No, that's what I'm saying. They don't, they don't even know. And I don't know. And so we're right. both looking at each other going, well, gee, if you don't know, and I don't know, where are we going? So, right. so I would take it and say, as a business owner, we need to lay out, we help agencies do this. And I do this at Premier Strategy Boss with my team. What's our three-year vision? What are we going to look like in three years? from a, not just a revenue perspective, but from a, a staff perspective, from an org chart perspective, like what are we really gonna look like? And then take that three years and what can we look like in 10 years? Because I can promise you, there's a lot that Scott Howell, and I don't mean this personally, needs to be able to let go of in 10 years so he can give somebody a position. Because I, I guarantee you, because I know Scott Howell very well, a lot of people say I wear 10 hats, Scott Howell wears 50 hats in his agency. I guarantee it. I know he does. Well, that's also Scott funny because give... he owns a bunch of different hats. That's, <laughs> well, that's, I didn't say that's that's have a play on words. Yeah. <laughs> but what Scott needs to do is figure out what, which of these hats can I create positions for? Don't do it tomorrow because that's where we all fell. We we're like, Oh, I can't do it because I can't afford this today. Well, no crap. None of us can afford it today, but these different positions and be a real company because you can grow a lot faster when you actually set up the right structure of where you want to be in three years, five years and start building for that. And that's where we fell again, because we're not giving a new hire or even existing employees a career path, a spot that they can go to because we don't articulate it. We don't have it written down. We don't meet about it. It's just, it's Monday and we got to answer these phone calls or it's Tuesday and, right. and we got to catch up for Monday or Sally was on vacation last week. And now we got to catch up and that's where we live and we don't break that cycle. So well, I, and- I, I call that a future org chart. Yeah. It's go. a three-year org chart. Now, Bradley and I have discussed this. I discussed it with somebody at Jason Cass's mastermind, sat down kneecap to kneecap 30. He's got 30 employees. He has a future org chart and he goes, you know who our next hire is? Now, this guy's got 30 employees, so I'll let y'all figure out how much premium he's probably got. He said, uh, our next our next hire is a damn uh, human resource manager. And he said, I've always wanted to have one. They've been on our future work chart, but we couldn't afford one uh-huh. until now. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what's happening, too. This is how social media works, okay? There is a huge, huge and I'm not going political here, but there's a huge silent majority on social media that disagree with the larger narrative on social media. The people you see are just the people who, you know, the dogs that you hit mm-hmm. are the ones that bark the loudest. And I think we have an issue in this current job market. I'm not speaking about anybody in my company because all my people are awesome. We have an issue where accountability is being demonized in the current world we're in. And I'll give you an example of that. So I posted a video a couple months ago of me and Hanley, and I was talking about our time off policy. Our time off policy at Portal is unlimited time off paired with accountability. You can take off whenever you want to. You got to give me a, and that doesn't apply for if you're sick or somebody dies, but you got to give me a week's notice. Don't leave your other team members hanging. In other words, don't take off when four other people are off that day in your department and get your job done. And some idiot commented, this is a toxic attitude. And I'm like, 
okay, you want 14 days off and, and your kid teacher sick and you don't have childcare. So you can't, you, you got to go mm-hmm. to work. Like, wh- wh- what do you want? And then I realized, oh, he's talking about the accountability and accountability is a good thing. Accountability is what makes you a better person, right. a better leader. It's what makes you more money, right? Yeah. They, this corny, but they say pressure makes diamonds. Accountability is that pressure. You hold yourself accountable if you don't have somebody holding you accountable and hold your people accountable. Otherwise, everybody's just running around willy-nilly and nobody's getting anything done. And I think that's what's happening in this current job market is people have a little bit of an entitled attitude and don't want to be held accountable. Because we had two years of COVID where everybody worked from home. Nobody was there to hold anybody accountable. You call carriers or call vendors for service and you hold it stay on hold 45 minutes because they're doing laundry, which, hey, that's fine. People work from home. They're going to have stuff, but nobody's holding anybody accountable. And now it's time to go back to the office and and they don't want that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's something else I had to get off my chest. I was actually going to bring that up, Bradley, that we had those two years where these carriers were sending all their underwriters were at home. And in some cases still are because gas is four or $5 a gallon and you live in Atlanta and you, if you are going to go into the office, it's an hour drive one way. Mm-hmm. So the underwriters like, listen, I'm getting my stuff done. And if I have to come back into the office, I'm going to be paying seven, $800 a month, almost a mortgage payment and gas to get to and from the office. But yet, there is that lack of accountability to some degree. And in some cases, a lot of degree is that person really getting their stuff done. So then you have to, then you almost have to put in place and Nick can speak to this, some forms of technology to see, you know, light speed. How many, how many hours today was this lady on the phone? How, how many, uh, accounts or applications did she process this week? Mm-hmm. Those types of things to, at least have some guardrails on somebody to know whether they're actually working or they're doing laundry and dusting their baseboards. And people are going to listen to that rant because I'm definitely going to clip that and post it on social media and be like, this guy's horrible to work for. No, 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 no. Listen to all my other content. I'm pro employee. I'm also pro accountability. You know, I said in the beginning, when COVID happened, people are like, how are you ensuring that your people are working eight to five when they're working from home? Like they're working from home. They're going to do laundry as long as they're getting their job done. Who cares? Yeah. And that's where having KPIs and SLAs and metrics become really important, right? Because, I mean, my agency, we were remote before we knew that it was called remote work, right? <laughs> Everybody just worked remote, right? This was back then we called that not having an office. <laughs> right, right. And and so, and even now, Premier Strategy Box, we're, we're remote, we're virtual. So I think it's about, again, articulating what you expect from people and being very clear about that and have it written, have it defined, have it measured, because then accountability is not a bad word, right? Like I I would almost challenge it and say, part of your culture should be a culture of accountability. Like that's, that's what people should want. I heard Scott talk about that, right? I've heard Bradley talk about that. I've heard lots of people, I heard Chris Paradiso talk about that. If, if accountability isn't a part of your culture, then that's your fault as the agency owner, just being honest. That's what I'm saying. So I tweeted the other day, you can't be a good leader if you don't respect the people you're leading and the people that you're leading are not going to respect you if you don't respect them. It's the same thing. You're not going to be able to adequately hold yourself accountable, hold your people accountable if you're not holding yourself accountable. 
So I want to end this podcast and talk for about five minutes. All right, we got to wrap up in five minutes because I got to help go go kill this account here in a second. I understand. <laughs> sales operations, sales ops. Now yeah. I wrote down getting salespeople focused on their KPIs, building the right foundation foundation for consistent earning. Oh, I love that. But that's another area we need to improve in my agency that we've talked a lot about this last year is building KPIs, not only for our account management group, mm-hmm. because they need KPIs as well. Yep. And, and ideally, if they hit those KPIs on a quarterly basis or semi-annually basis, maybe they get a bonus There you go for, for doing a great job and hitting all their KPIs. Now, same holds true for salespeople. They should have key performance indicators. That's what the word KPI acronym stands for. Both, you know, goals, whether mm-hmm. it's quarterly, semi-annual, annual goals. We do we do have that in our agency each, and they and they get bonused pretty healthy bonus based on reaching their annual goal that we set way back in December, January timeframe for the year. But speak yeah. to that, Mick. I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So sales ops is all about number one, teaching a defined sales process. And on the last podcast, we went through what that sales po- what that sales process was. So if you missed it, this is a great time to go listen to to that podcast. Right. right? But it's about holding people accountable to what I call standards. Right. Like to me, goals are personal. Right. Like Scott's goals are his personal goals. But to work at the agency, if I came to work at Scott's agency, there should be a standard meaning there should be a minimum expectation from me on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, semi-annual, annual basis of things that matter. So we're going to talk about how many prospect meetings did you have, Mm. right? How many follow-up calls did you do? How many presentations did you do? How many networks did you join? How many network events did you attend, right? Because you're not going to be a salesperson if you're not doing salespeople stuff, right? right? Like you're not going to be a salesperson hiding behind a desk, waiting for the phone to ring, right? If you look at any organization across the world, salespeople are active. And so we're going to have activity-based KPIs of what I just listed. Because if you do those things right, the results are going to happen, right? Scott, you played sports. I played sports. A lot of people don't see what happens during practice, right? right? But if you have great practice and you have great practice habits, as a player, as a coach, you can live with the results on game time because you know we did the right thing. Yeah. And, and that's what it's about on the sales upside. It's creating those habits to do the right things on a consistent basis. And that's one of the things that you focus on with these agencies. And then sometimes you go into an agency and there's maybe one salesperson or a couple of people that the agency owner says, hey, Mick, I really need you to help these guys. Mm hmm. And you start going through that process of helping these people. And maybe you don't have the right overall culture KPI set up by the agency owner. So you kind of have to back into that to get that Mm -hmm. going. And then as you move forward, I know for a fact, there's been times you've gone into agencies and at the end of it, you look around and you're like, this person's just not a salesperson. They can't get the check. They can't get the check. They're not going to get the check. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how many KPIs you give them. Sometimes it's just not the the right cracker barrel person in the right seat on the bus. Right butts, right seats. I say that all the time. So I always start 
and I know Bradley's going to chuckle because I did this with him, is we have to do an assessment, right? I don't care if you use DISC, if you use Caliper, if you use Wonderlic, whatever. There needs to be some type of assessment, something. There has to be something where you measure the acumen of being a salesperson because just because they're great, they can talk very well, they're not afraid to be on the phones, that doesn't mean they're a salesperson, yeah. that they're a salesperson right? right? It just doesn't. So I'm all about the assessment, getting the right person in the right seat, because if I've got somebody that just isn't an outside sales producer and I'm trying to give them the KPIs and teach them, but it's just not innately who they are, right? It's not their demeanor. They're not going to succeed. And then we as the agency owner are frustrated because this person interviewed great. Talking does not equal salespeople. I'm I'm just going to say that right now. Talking does not equal sales. I'd rather have someone who's not that great of a talker or communicator, but it's not scared to ask for the check. There you go. There you go. Do you find agency owners have more success with bringing in agents, existing agents that maybe they weren't happy where they were, or they were with a captive carrier and they want to go independent? Or do you find that more, more agency owners have success with hiring somebody outside of insurance to come in, learn insurance, which will probably uh-huh. take longer to, you know, train and get their licenses and stuff like that. But, or, or is it just kind of potluck both ways? No, definitely more success outside of our industry. Okay. Right. Because, because here's what I will tell you. Great salespeople should never be available to hire. Right. Within our industry. Right. If Scott has a great producer, if Bradley has a great producer, I promise you they're not available. You will pay them, negotiate with them, whatever. You will make sure they are as happy as happy can be. So I'm always looking for new people to come into our industry, take the time to train them. But, and you guys both know this about me, I'm all about niche markets. I'm not trying to teach you all of insurance. I want you to find your lane and I'm going to help teach you that lane very well because that's how you become a subject matter expert. It's kind of like when COVID first happened, right? And there was all these layoffs. I posted on Facebook that if you were a salesperson and lost your job because of the COVID layoffs, let me know. I've got a spot for you, right? And it, it posted really well for like 20 hours. And then I, I was going to like deep dive into this. And then it hit me that night. I was like, wait a minute. No good salesperson is going to lose their job. Like I'm one out of a hundred. Like, yeah, no, that's that they, they cut loose all the fat basically. The great ones didn't get laid off, exactly. right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, uh, by the way, guys, about 60 to 70% of the time, when you go after that rock star that's with another agency, guess what you really just did? You got them a pay raise. Exactly. Because when they go to their employer and they are killing it, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. You know, the more somebody can they do Nick for an agency, you. the more willing that agency owner is going to be like, oh, I got to keep this guy or girl, whatever Mm -hmm. I got to do. So when they go to them and like, Hey, I'm looking at this other opportunity. Then you get the email or the text message that, Hey, I'm going to stay where I'm at. They gave me a $10,000 raise. Right. They Nick saved (laughs) it. But you know, that's part of the sales process, right? Like I put our sales process in the interview process. I'm good, bro. You didn't uncover enough pain to really get them to come over or you were selling on what you wanted, not what you were hearing. Right. Right. Nick, I appreciate you being on here. I almost I appreciate Nick. I apologize. Man, that was a good podcast right there, guys. That was uh that was a lot of really good information. I think these guys need to know about. 
before we jump off and I shut this thing down, Mick, if these guys want to get with you and, uh, you know, learn more about what you could do for them and possibly even hire you as kind of an outside consultant, how would they get in touch with you? Mystrategybox.com. Mystrategybox.com. Scott Howell is my agent, so he's going to filter a lot of of this. (laughs) But Mick.Hunt at Mystrategybox.com. But it don't get much easier than that. Thank you for being on today, Mick. As I end every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big, bad world. Build relationships. Activity-based KPIs for people. Remember this. Agency owners, if you're at a seven, your team's going to be at a four. If you're at a 10, they're probably going to be at a seven. You've got to have that energy. You've got to have that culture of growth, and you got to be moving at a pretty high rate of speed. They're going to see that, and then they're going to move at a pretty high rate of speed. Go make money for your family. Write good business for the agencies that you represent, and write good business for the companies that you represent. And Bradley Flowers is not here. So, Mick, I love you. I love you back, and I mean that. Thank you, brother. I love you, too. Guys, you were listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.